There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hertz was a little bit asleep at the wheel and that when COVID hit, they were sort of forced into bankruptcy. Welcome to episode 26 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies? I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Hertz. A 911 domestic dispute call was placed in the wee hours of New Year's Day in 1989 involving a man assaulting his wife after having too many drinks at a party the night before. When the police showed up at their Brentwood, California mansion, they saw the wife, bloodied and bruised up, scurrying out of the bushes. He's gonna kill me, he's gonna kill me, she kept repeating. She was beaten so severely she required hospital treatment. According to reports, the woman had been punched and kicked and still had a handprint on her neck. The couple turned out to be O.J. Simpson, the star running back for the Buffalo Bills, and his wife, Nicole Brown. However, before the incident made headline news, both Simpson and Brown made a call to someone in New York to explain what had occurred the night before, downplaying the entire argument. It wasn't a big deal, they both insisted separately, both parties diminishing what was detailed in the police report. The man whom they felt they needed to tell first before anyone else turned out to be Frank Olson, chairman of the board of the iconic car rental company Hertz Corp. Welcome to the story of Hertz Corp. Born to ride since 1918, Roadkill by 2020. I was having lunch with a friend last year when he mentioned this weird phenomenon that was occurring with Hertz stock price. In May of 2020, Hertz had declared bankruptcy after enduring the global pandemic for several months. And its share price, which at one time went as high as $150 per share, had fallen to as low as 40 cents per share. So it had people scratching their heads when less than seven weeks after filing bankruptcy, 
investors in droves piled into this worthless stock on the Robinhood trading platform and jacked up the price to over six bucks. No one could quite explain why that occurred. There was no new news, but the effects of this sent tremors into the financial world. Was it a pump and dump scheme or boredom for investors? Perhaps it was really inexperienced traders or a Hail Mary attempt to resurrect a withering, dying brand. Maybe it was all of the above, but to many, it was hard to imagine the faltering or even death of this prolific 102-year-old brand that one time had been the nation's largest car rental company. And at first glance, it seemed apparent that the global pandemic and its impact on travel demand ultimately swallowed up this corporate behemoth. However, when you peel back the layers and study Hertz's history, you discover that many people over the years were holding shovels and digging the company's grave. Hertz was founded in 1918 by Chicago native Walter Jacobs, who first launched the company with a dozen Model T Ford cars. Within five years, it expanded to 600 vehicles and was then purchased by another Chicago native, John D. Hertz, who went on to help develop the brand. But the rise of Hertz really occurred around the 1940s and 1950s when business travel began to boom as did car rental sales for business people. The Hertz Corp began trading on the New York Stock Exchange in 1954 and quickly became one of the most recognizable names in the industry. They were also strategic, being conveniently located in airports across the country, making that yellow and black logo a hallmark for anyone stepping off a plane in a new city. Though there were competitors, Hertz took the reins for many years as the industry unfolded. Here's Hamza Mazari, Managing Director and Equity Analyst at Jeffries Group, who had a seat in the passenger side and saw what made Hertz such a hot ticket for investors. I think what made Hertz compelling at one stage was the view that consolidation in the marketplace in car rental would lead to much stronger pricing. There was a view that you, you know, in an environment where you have three companies that own 95% market share because of consolidation, you know, uh, Enterprise, Hertz, and Avis, that you would get pricing power. And so that was one piece which attracted investors to Hertz was this view that, you know, you'll see a car rental pricing ramp because of consolidation in the sector. And, you know, Hertz was kind of leading that charge. Given the increased competition, Hertz needed something distinctive to stand apart from its competitors. So they conducted a market study which identified their audience to be that of white businessmen traveling for work. And what these men mostly cared about was speed and ease. In the 1970s, that's what Hertz gave them in the form of marketing. They recruited the person who best personified swiftness, the then beloved NFL star O.J. Simpson. The partnership was remarkable and groundbreaking. It was the first time a major corporation enlisted an African-American spokesperson to appear as the face of the company which made the brand pioneering. And it proved pivotal because when the ad ran, 
it won the hearts of Americans everywhere. The dashing, larger-than-life visual of Simpson jetting through the airport in his business suit and briefcase while being cheered on by fans, kindling an affection for Hertz. OJ added charisma to Hertz, and Hertz, in turn, helped make OJ a household name beyond the football field. It was a perfect union, so much so that the relationship between Hertz chairman Frank Olson and OJ Simpson blossomed from a business partnership to a personal friendship, and they were often seen together on the golf course as well as at lavish parties. But what seemed to be on cruise control would soon have things come to a screeching halt. There were several issues that eventually led to Hertz's downfall. It was hard to pinpoint to a defining moment because there were many warning signs over the years. During its lifespan, Hertz hit some speed bumps, first with competitors like Enterprise and Avis, then to the changing hands of so many different management teams, including GM, Ford, and private equity firms, and a revolving door of CEOs. Couple that with some fatal management missteps, and it seemed like those from the outside looking in were witnessing a bad car crash in slow motion. Though the events stem back many years, here were where the cracks started to show that began to chip away at the company. Ford owned Hertz from 1994, but by 2005, Ford was struggling financially and decided to sell Hertz to two private equity firms, Clayton Dubillier and Rice, and the Carlyle Group for about $15 billion. Once Hertz fell into their hands, it was said that the PE firms loaded the company up with so much debt that that began their downward spiral. For those of you that haven't caught on, oftentimes private equity giants are like monsters that gobble up solid companies and spit out the bones of what used to be promising companies. Typically because PE firms prioritize short-term gains over creating long-term sustainable value and growth. Because they put their money into the company, they're looking to profit as fast as possible. And as a result, they take on additional debt to pay themselves back first, which completely kills a company's capital structure. And that was the case for Hertz. When private equity owned Hertz, sort of late 2005 initially, and then during that time period, they again loaded the company with a lot of debt, but then also they took out almost a billion dollars as a dividend recap. And so what we found was, you know, Hertz was underinvested in, uh, under private equity, we think. Then the following year in 2006, Hertz enlisted Mark Frasora as its new CEO. Frasora was known as a very charismatic marketing guy. I think Mark was a very aggressive CEO. He had much more of a sales mentality, I would say, than, you know, operational in in many ways. And and he was more sort of this sales growthy type CEO that set very, very aggressive targets. And his first order of business was to cut costs, eliminate thousands of jobs and pay himself handsomely, 19.2 million to be exact which was his salary in 2006, and more than what Ford paid its own CEO. 
Because the salary was tied to the company's performance, it was crucial that Hertz needed to continue generating profits that led for Sora to seek creative ways to keep the numbers up. One of the ways that he did so was in how he treated the vehicle depreciation, which were the company's biggest costs on the income statement. For Sora and his team kept their fleets longer than usual, holding the cars longer than industry standards. What that really means in this sector is that cash depreciation is a real cost for owning these cars. So you, you basically, these car rental companies, they buy a car, they hold it for, you know, 12 months, maybe 14 months, and then they sell it. And, and the depreciation on that is really a cash cost for, for these companies. And so when you're not selling cars and you're holding on to the cars longer, you're reporting less depreciation on your P&L because they basically report depreciation over the length of the holding period. And so you had one or two years where the company didn't refresh its fleet and was over-earning. By keeping the fleets longer, you don't need to write the cost of the years that the company keeps it. This then slows the rate of expense, allowing the company to report higher profits. Because of this, Hertz stock price kept rising, even though it continued to pile on loads of debt. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by WorkSocial. Let's face it, the pandemic has really changed the way that we view our jobs. While most companies are going 100% remote, we're also seeing a rise in new startups and an influx of new entrepreneurs, especially between the second and third quarter of last year, 2020. And you know what they all need? A business address. Work Social Virtual helps you build a professional image for your business. It provides premium location addresses and will help you handle all the mail forwarding and communication services so that you can focus on running your world-class business. It also protects you and your family with a separate business address. Visit them on the web at worksocial.works forward slash the great fail or call 201-589-0302 and let them know you heard about the service on this podcast. They'll offer you two free months when you sign up for an annual virtual office plan. That's right. Sign up for an annual plan and receive a year's worth of virtual office service for the price of 10 months. Plus, you'll have free access to a one hour conference room every month. Before our commercial break, we just talked about how the private equity firms loaded Hertz up with too much bad debt. Then came a new CEO for Sora who sought creative ways to increase profits on their income statement. Next came the dollar acquisition. During a time of industry consolidation, Hertz needed to make big moves to gain bigger market share. Beginning in 2010, Hertz had its eye on Dollar Thrifty Automotive Group and started to pursue this courtship for $1.2 billion, thinking that it could grab hold of a greater market share for dollar-conscious travelers. It engaged in a two-year bidding war with rival Avis, but ultimately won the bid. Well, I guess who actually won depends on how you look at it, because to many analysts, Hertz ended up overpaying, (gasps) shelling out more than double its original offer. Racking up a $2.6 billion price tag, the acquisition did help boost its market share a little bit, but it further piled on an already inflated debt. What then followed were massive headaches 
for challenges like having two computer systems that didn't properly integrate and then having to move the headquarters from New Jersey and Oklahoma to Florida in order to properly connect the teams. And then, you know, to make matters worse, right, in 2015, they decided to shift their headquarters from Jersey to Naples, Florida. And when you're in the midst of so much change, almost 85% of their frontline revenue-generating corporate staff didn't move with them. So they had to rehire all these new positions within the finance function, within the corporate function, you know, so that also kind of didn't help. What was supposed to save Hertz $100 million in the first year ended up costing them $70 million. When the infamous activist investor Carl Icahn came into the picture in 2014, the markets responded favorably. Icahn felt that Hertz was a reputable brand with a solid foundation but just needed better management. However, instead of hiring former Dollar Thrifty CEO Scott Thompson, who knew the car industry inside and out, he went with John Tague, an ex-COO of United Airlines. Huh? Carl Icahn came in and, and, you know, they replaced Fosora and they bought in a guy called John Tague from United Airlines. Again, that was a bad move because instead of investing in the business, what he did was he's a cost-cutting guy. He was an airline guy. He was a cost-cutting guy. And so he laid out this very ambitious cost-cutting plan that kind of said we have, you know, 700 to 800 million of improvement from a cost perspective that we can get here at Hertz. And so he was too focused on cost-cutting, didn't invest in the business again. As a result, he would soon make yet another fatal mistake for the company. In an effort to save money, Tag decided to refresh its fleet, but he chose the wrong ones. Unlike Avis and Enterprise, who were stockpiling pickups and SUVs, Hertz instead invested in a ton of sedans because they were cheaper. The issue with that was that Hertz failed to see where the market was going because more consumers were requesting bigger cars. So now that compact cars were slowly becoming worthless, Hertz customers began dropping like flies. Alternatively, Tag also thought that Hertz was in a dominant position to set the bar higher, and he did so by raising prices, expecting his competitors to follow suit. But instead, it only resulted in Enterprise and Avis snickering behind its back to pick up more clients. Within the decade between 2010 to 2020, Hertz saw a revolving door of CEOs hoping to turn the company around, but to no avail. And then 2014 brought with it the impact of emerging ride-sharing companies like Uber and Lyft. In that two-year period, 2014 to 2016, car rental companies dropped from 48% to 33%. Their market share killed off. All car rental companies were becoming victims of the changing industry conditions. In 2017, Hertz did find a new leader, Catherine Marinello, previously a board member at GM and Volvo. 
And then Carl brought in Catherine, who said, finally, hey, let's get the right fleet. Let's sell these small cars, whatever we get for it, and let's reinvest in the business. She did the right thing. But unfortunately, when you don't invest for almost, you know, eight, nine years, and you have a lot of management change, it takes time to reinvest back in the business. And they finally got their act together, we think, you know, December 2019, and the business was growing high single digits organically, but then COVID hit. And then with a mountain of debt, the lockdown and nationwide travel bans, Hertz was tipped over the edge and off the cliff. In May of 2020, Hertz, the nation's second largest car rental agency, filed for bankruptcy protection when it could no longer make its payments to lenders. While 700,000 cars in its fleet sat on the lot, it was a grim depiction into one of the largest bankruptcies during the pandemic. On the company's Chapter 11 petition, Hertz listed $25.8 billion in assets, over $1 billion in cash, and $24.4 billion of debt. Carl Icahn followed suit shortly afterwards as he sold his entire stake in the company, signaling the end for what was once a 39% stake in the company, now equivalent to a $2 billion loss. This was a tale about what happens when the company makes all the wrong decisions, leaving analysts and shareholders to speculate the many ways that killed the century-old brand. Was it poor management? Terrible accounting methods? An overpriced acquisition? Or just failure to adapt to changing consumer preferences? Hertz had been in trouble for many years, but it seemed that this pandemic escalated its weakness, making what was once invincible now inevitable. At a time when others were also dealing with the pandemic, Hertz rival Avis took on a much more aggressive stance in building a life raft for itself. When we look at what happened during COVID, we think Avis really started cutting costs significantly in early March, late February. They started renegotiating with all of their corporate lenders and their ABS debt holders and really were able to renegotiate their debt covenants, which gave them room to raise more liquidity in the market by issuing bonds. And they cut costs earlier. Now, Hertz was a little bit asleep at the wheel and that they reacted. They, they started doing what Avis was doing in late February, sometime in April. And at that time, it became a little too late in terms of, you know, they couldn't get the corporate lender support and they were running up against, you know, missed payments. And so essentially, you know, then when COVID hit, they were sort of forced into bankruptcy in the sense that they just reacted too late, you know. One 
One of the most notable infamous televised events in American history was in 1994, when O.J. Simpson was suspected to have murdered his ex-wife, Nicole Simpson, and her friend, Ron Goldman. The public watched as Simpson, then declared a fugitive, was driven by his best friend in a white Ford Bronco, speeding away from LAPD in a televised manhunt, which had 95 million people tuning in to watch the chase. It's hard to explain why sales of the Ford Bronco ironically went up that year. Perhaps proving infamy can oftentimes be quite lucrative. It would be a quarter of a century later when Simpson offered his services to Hertz again. Shortly after they declared bankruptcy in 2020, Simpson went on to post a video of himself, suggesting that he be the spokesperson for Hertz again. When someone asked if he would be running through the airports just as he had done before in the 70s, Simpson appeared to be startled. And then, with a deflated response, said, Oh, I hadn't thought of that referring to the halt in travel these days. Though it's amusing to ponder, who better to understand a company on lockdown than someone who's actually been on lockdown or locked up? But hey, I guess it could work. Simpson is probably the only spokesperson they can afford these days. Special thanks to Hamza Mazari for his invaluable analysis and commentary on this week's episode. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail. Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind-the-scenes audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Great Fail Pod. And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember, folks, with great failure comes great liability. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.